White Ice, uh, 2018, a year of questions and conversations on race with United Methodist clergy and laity focusing on the 50 years after merger and how it has affected African-American congregations and their communities. My name is Vincent Harris, your host for this podcast, and we will explore uh, over the year conversations on yesterday's perspectives on race, today's context of race in uh, United Methodist churches, and also visions for tomorrow. We will have guests from all walks of life, and we uh, hope that you will be able to join us in these conversations. How do you believe, or do you believe, racism still remains one of the most challenging issues for the church and society today? Do you believe that that's an, that's an issue today? Yeah, I absolutely believe that racism bec- um, remains a significant challenge for the church today uh, for all of the, what I want to say, celebratory moments that we have um, experienced in the United Methodist Church of, of the denomination becoming more open, more inclusive, more diverse, both in the United States and globally, there is still this element of unfinished business that dates back to uh, the the decision of schism um, and then the decision to uh, to dis to dismantle the central jurisdiction um, and even until this day I mean there's there has been this legacy of promises that haven't been completely kept because the the church really struggles with with dealing with the power and privilege issues that undergird racism, not only in the church, but in society, which is also why we struggle as a denomination to be relevant and to build those kinds of cross-cultural relationships as a predominantly white institution in a a world that is becoming less so. And I think that has a lot to do with, uh, you know, this unfinished business of eradicating racism. Right. I, you know, over the years, I've been able to be a part of some of the um, some of the events. I was a part of the the general conference um, conversation when we did, um, you know, while we stayed and and the the whole repentance uh, issue, and that that was interesting. And and, and I don't know what uh, the outcome of that was, if any. I think that was in 2008 in Pittsburgh. But um, you know, over these past 50 years, especially since uh, merger. Would, how would you place uh, our our work, our grade on race relations between uh, one and ten, and, and why? Well, I would say maybe maybe a five. Okay. And I guess the reason that I would say that is because we've done in many places, not all, but in many places we've done a fair job in the, how would I call it, the um, the symbolic mm. advances on the, in, uh, you know, so for example, much of the early work of decor um, and the early work of inclusion and integration um, post-68 merger was this bringing in uh, 
black leaders, ethnic leaders into significant places of leadership within the church. So we have seen over this 50 years that you can find, you know, once again, in depending on where you look, you can find examples of people of color who have capably led or uh, been first in significant places. Uh-huh. So we do we've we've done this work of okay yes we will we'll we'll elevate folks we'll elect bishops we'll add DPSs to cabinets we'll put um, uh, pastors in significant appointments um, and yet the real work in terms of transforming the ethos of the church in how it uh, reorganizes itself systemically. Uh, how that it has this work trickling down to the local church experience, uh, uh-huh. it, uh, closing gaps in terms of pay equity between uh, clergy of color and their white counterparts, uh-huh. of similar uh-huh. education and experience. All of those meaningful, all of the, all of the, all of the games have been meaningful. But you know, the ones where the the rubber really hits the road, impact systems. Um, and impact our ability to be in relationship with people. We've not done very well at that. So we, we, we do a good job at the photo opportunity. So we can show lots of different color faces in significant um, places. But that, but that work of the deeper work of changing powers and, and principalities and systems, that work we've not been very good at. Yeah, it seems that a lot of um, the discussion about, you know, change and um, not a wobble, as they would say in in sociology, but real uh, systemic change doesn't really occur until, you know, people become serious about uh, making making power moves and and, and using resources and also uh, position to uh, include people of color and also make sure that, uh, that inclusion is, is not tokenism, and, and I think that's one of the challenges that we've we've faced as well. But even with all of that, you know, and I think people may talk about how uh, the church has done uh, a pretty good job, but in spite of that, you know, we've still had declining churches, closing churches, and it, it just seems like um, we don't have an upswing on this. Do Do you have anything that you would propose that might help? Uh, to, to turn the tide and in some way, not not so much about church growth, but maybe the attitude and understanding that people have about relation, racial relationships that could help um, us as a denomination? Well, I think that it would be helpful if we took, um, and when I say we, I'm, I'm really meaning particularly communities of color, um, we would appreciate a, a strategy that is both top-down and bottom-up. So uh-huh. what I mean by that is so much of our time and energy um, is spent trying to advocate for change high up in the system. But institutions don't change. Right. You know, they, they, they don't change. They adopt changes or adapt to changes that are already happening. The civil rights movement was already underway, and we like to we like to believe that the civil rights movement changed 
changed the institution, but really that movement ha- was already um, becoming embedded in the people with the media starting to cover, you know, riots and to, to put the face of, of bigotry on the front of newspapers. It provided a groundswell where people's perceptions began to change and then the institutions adapted, adopted the the changes that were already happening amongst the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that the same could be true for the church. We definitely need leaders in in high places that are opening doors and who are are continuing to point the vision towards something better. And at the same time, I think that more of our energy, our resources, and our commitment needs to be uh, with people on the ground, with with ethnic churches, mm-hmm. doing this work of opening hearts and opening minds and opening doors. Because we, we see that as somebody else's work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in ethnic communities, we don't want others. <laughs> you know, as much as we want to say that we're open, there are churches that 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 do that are not particularly open to diversity socioeconomically. They're, um, you know, cross racially. So, I I really do think that this bottom up approach of our churches, church leaders, folks on the ground, using our um, our capital, our energy, our resources to be in communities so that as the change happens on the ground, the institution then becomes that entity that adopts what's already taking place rather than thinking that the role is to change up there and somehow it will trickle down to the realities on the ground. There are just too many examples of how that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing that I think has some significant, and especially in what you're saying about about the change element, the the the, the cultural climate for um, for society and the cultural climate in the uh, in the church don't don't seem to particularly match. And, and the reason I say that is is kind of dealing with what you talked about with the civil rights movement. Uh, the cultural climate during that time seemed to press people into response. Uh, for mm-hmm. for this, but as we look at the cultural climate today, um, do you think the movements of the day are are able to impact the same kind of change that happened during the civil rights movement? I do, but I think we need to be open to them looking different. I I think that the movements, I I think the movements will be bring about change, but this is a different time. So yeah. to expect those movements to produce the results or to look the same or to act the same or to have similar demands, I think is part of what keeps us stuck. You know, mm-hmm. so these young people who are who are talking about uh, gun violence and who are, you know, emerging as voices of, of activism now, not only recently, but, you know, in terms of how this is impacting communities of color and and our relationships with law enforcement and, you know, all of that from Black Lives Matter to what's happening now with, you know, students in the recent school shootings. Um, it's, we have to be open to those, those movements um, operating under a different set of principles, being led by different voices that are, are interested in different things. 
And um, and I think that if we can kind of let go and let the spirit of of um, freedom <laughs> emerge in a way that is contextually relevant for today, then we might actually see some change. But everybody wants to see it their way. They yeah. want, you know, they want it to to look a way that's comfortable for them, or yeah. to be reminiscent of what they knew of the protest movement. And um, there's a lane for everybody. So find yours and stay in it, and let the rest of us live. <laughs> you know, let 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 this thing emerge in a messy kind of way. Because I, I believe that when the change comes from whatever this movement, and it's not just one; it's many. It's an infinite number of them. When 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 the collective voice of all of this change and protest and 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 um, resistance kind of reaches its its critical mass and boiling point. We're talking about uh, ushering in a, a whole new way of being um, in community. So uh, it's going to produce something that we, we're not even ready for. And yeah. it may be a while before it happens, but, you know, I, I just continue to say amen to all of it, even the parts of it that I don't quite understand, and mm-hmm. to let it be, because I, I do believe that it's all working for good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that this, you know, this conversation that are these conversations that are happening uh, across the country and also within the context of the church have have legitimacy and 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 they have a need to 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 to, to be opened up in a, in a way that gives people an opportunity to express. Um, you know, a lot of times in uh, our community, especially the Black Church, you know, we sometimes don't like to talk about certain issues. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this uh, conversation about uh, around human sexuality does it does it impact the black church negatively or positively, or are we even is, is it necessary for us to even address any of that? Well, so once again, I think that when we when we allow ourselves to be pulled into somebody else's conversation, and I'll say what I mean by that, then the opportunities for us to uh, engage in meaningful conversation that is relevant for us is lost. So I I believe that it is imperative for the black church to have a conversation about human sexuality. To me, that is distinct from homosexuality, although I think that that is a, that's a big piece of it. Um, I think that the church says, we're in a time of discerning human sexuality, but what we're but that isn't what we're doing. What we're talking about is whether we'll let you know gay people in the church and officiate weddings, and we call that human sexuality. But in our but in our community, and I would say in communities of color, uh, in many communities of color, there are very deep issues around um, relating sexual abuse and harm, historical harm that has been um, that has been perpetrated against people of color. Uh, we know that folks who are involved in human trafficking, uh, the likelihood of, 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 of young people of color being involved in human trafficking, all of that is is embedded in a systemic uh, reality of how um, our bodies, have been used, abused, and we need to be able to reckon with that in the black community. We need to be able to have conversations about 
the sexual abuse that was perpetuated against our communities in slavery and how there there are in some places still um, ideas about how that might have impacted the psyche of our of our people, the emasculation of black men, the you know the disenfranchisement of black families. All of that is wrapped into a conversation about human sexuality that is pertinent to yeah. the black community. Yeah. And so, but we skip over all of that because some white folks somewhere have said whether or not we ordain, ordain gay folks or not is a conversation about human sexuality. And instead of us attending our business, which is the health and wholeness of our people, mentally, physically, sexually, and in every other way, we get sucked up in, in, into the powerful conversation and we deny the, the business that is ours to do. Yeah. So, um, so that's what I have to say about that. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm a I'm supporter for all forms of inclusion in the church. I don't have a problem saying that. And I want to be really clear that, that in our, uh, that when it comes to this in, in the, in the, in the black church, that we need to be clear about not letting someone else's agenda become ours. And I don't mean the ordination of gay people. I think that's an agenda that impacts everybody. What I'm talking about is the health wholeness and wellness of black people. Yeah, we're both um, children of, of, of black Methodist for church renewal. I have uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, I abandoned for for a while and uh, kind of made it back to a meeting this, this spring. But, you know, do you think our focus in, uh, in, in the caucus uh, has been diluted with other causes or issues and that um that's uh kind of moved us to lose our, our purpose and and not so much the purpose that was initially part of the movement in sixty eight but 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 what we see as 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 motivating the church or uh, moving the church as a gadfly as 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 a as an organization that really uh, made uh, an important impact on decisions that were made and and how the church uh, would live out and live up to its promises. Well, you know, uh, this <laughs> this is this is an interesting question for me because I will say personally that I'm um, I'm 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 one that's not convinced that the that the uh the best efforts of communities of color right now should be primarily focused at uh responding to the institution. So I I do believe that the United Methodist Church is going through a time of of anxiety and change. I believe that that change is going to happen um, despite any efforts to try to, you know, we're we're concerned about um, turning back the tide of decline and um, kind of uh, re uh, what's the, re revitalizing the Methodist movement. I, I don't I don't think that that's I think it's unlikely. I think that there will be some sort of major shift, change, downsizing that will, uh, uh, a death of sorts 
that will then become the seedbed for something new to grow. And um, so I think, you know, so my personal uh, conviction is to let the, let the process of, dirt, of, of death and rebirth have its way. We all know that white Christian America is dying. And I just don't think that despite all of the efforts of Donald Trump and all of his cronies, that that's going to change. You know, they're going to do a lot of things to change policies, to try to keep this 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 power center of, of whiteness alive. But despite all of their efforts, no matter how successful, I just don't think that it is sustainable and that it will prevail in the end. So having said that, I believe that um, our caucuses, um, which at one time when the method, you know, in, in 68 and um, in those times when, when BMCR was, was um, created, the, the Methodist Church was just starting to its, its descent in terms of, of membership. It was kind of at an apex moment. So right. it made contextual sense okay. for, for us to be focused on the institution. But the, the role of institutions in social and civic life is dramatically changing. So yeah. to say we need to do, again, what we did there when we're in a whole different time doesn't seem to make much sense to me. So yeah. I would say that I, I could see the role of our caucuses, including BMCR, to begin to not completely abandon our, um, to use your, you know, the, the image you use to be that gadfly that helped to remind the church of, of its need to be in relationship and to be the church with respect to people who are on the margins. I believe that, that we need to do that work on the ground. I believe that maybe the, um, tuning our ear back to the concerns, to the, um, questions, to the struggles, of black and brown and red communities, we've got to work at this in an intersectional kind of way. Um, for us to turn back to the people who are on the margins and for us to listen with fresh ears to uh. what's really happening in communities and then use that as a re as as a as a way for us to begin to say, so what does it mean for us to be relevant um, in, in doing the mission of, of Christ? given what black people, what brown people, what young people, what all of the folks who are on the margins are dealing with in this day and age. What does relevant, life-changing, vital ministry look like? And that is, you know, something that I believe um, would be most helpful for uh, for BMCR and for some of the other caucuses to do to help us, to help prepare us for the future without the institution or without the institution playing the same role that it once played. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I yeah, I, I agree. I think that we, we do need to um, refocus and, and find, a, you know, a better way uh, and better not being that, that the things we've done have been, been bad, but find a way to uh, get better outcome. I think that we, we've gone through uh, a lot of process, but we, we don't have a lot of outcome from, from the process. So, um, you know, uh, what do we need to do in order to make that happen? And I guess the last, the last question, Aaron, I have for you is, you know, what, what do you see, 
that we could do maybe a couple of things for a better outcome uh, for for black churches and, and, and communities of color uh, and, and even leadership as we go into the, the coming years? Um, I think I think the better outcomes for the church should be directly uh, linked to the outcomes for the community. So there there are no better outcomes for our churches if their communities aren't experiencing better outcomes. And if we can get our heads around what that looks like, what that kind of ministry looks like, it doesn't matter how many folks we've got in our seats, if the people that we serve, are their lives aren't better, if the people who, you know, we're called to, to, um, to be uh, in ministry with, if their lives aren't better, then we aren't really the church. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I believe as well. I think many of the people who uh, are serious about the church and, and want to see the church uh, and the nature of the church be manifest uh, would say the same thing. I, now, Aaron, I thank you for for your time and for the for the conversation t- today. I know that. You're busy. Uh, this is Holy Week, and uh, and uh, I pray that you have a a great a great week and a, and a wonderful Resurrection Sunday. And thank you so much for for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate this. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot.